I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Frau Pau. We're your hosts, Auden Rags. Hey, hi, hello. You are listening to uh, an episode from our immigration series. If you are a little bit lost, please go back to our preface where we introduce this. In this episode, we're going to talk to Mike from Ghana. We hope you enjoy the series. So why don't you tell us um, a little bit about where you're from? So I was born in Kumasi, Ghana. Um, for most of the people that don't know, Ghana is a country in West Africa. It's basically right on the western coast. Um, and what was it like? How long did you live in Ghana? Did you move? Um, did you move to the United States when you were younger, or did you have like a childhood in Ghana? So I actually did have a childhood. I actually lived there till I was eight years old, and. At the age of eight, I ended up moving down to South Africa to live with my dad. Um, so essentially what happened was when I was about the age of four, my dad had a, a really great job opportunity in South Africa. And so he basically went after it. My dad was driven and he was hungry for a better life for me and my family. Um, so he went after that job. So basically for that four four year gap from the age of four to eight, I ended up living with my grandma in addition to my other siblings and uh, like my cousins. So my grandma honestly is the real MVP. She literally um, took really good care of us while my dad wasn't around. Um, so what kind of work does your dad do? 
so he was uh he basically does computer programming oh wow and yeah so there was like a really big opportunity that popped up and he pretty much went after it but while he was there he did that and then was also teaching physics and chemistry in one of the universities down in South Africa oh wow no big deal just like super smart (laughs) (laughs) it's like no big deal and then he also owned a salon which is kind of interesting yeah he's like doing all these things very cool and so um how was your gram or was your um dad sending money back to Ghana to help um your grandma um absolutely yeah yeah and because my grandma didn't work you know so she was basically shoveling a lot of money over at us to make sure we were fed and had to keep the lights on and keep the water running you know yeah, because it's definitely a different lifestyle in Africa. Um, so after you moved to South Africa, what was life down like down there? It was um, well. I didn't. I don't remember much because I basically lived there for about six months or so. Okay. Oh yeah, that's um, not long. Yeah, it was a sh- very short period because he basically got a job in America, and while I was there. Uh, we were basically working on getting my um, passport ready and everything so we can work our way over to America. Um, why was that the goal? Did your dad just think that there would there be better opportunities or did he was he getting other job offers? So he was getting job offers because he was really good at the comp- the whole computer stuff and computer was starting to become really big in America. Um, so he was being noticed by a lot of like big companies. Um, Microsoft was actually looking at him and he actually regrets that he never took that opportunity because he didn't really think anything of it. Mm. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. But, um, he, I mean, he really wanted to come to America because he was like, okay, this would be a much better life, um, for my family. And everyone really talks it up in a lot of third world countries. And um, so he just kind of wanted to see what it was all about, I guess. Um, So how old were you um, when you all came over to the United States? So I was actually eight, eight years old. Oh, okay. Because you only spent the six months in South Africa. Yeah. 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 Um, And what was that immigration process like for you guys? It was pretty difficult um, in the beginning, just kind of like adjusting to the lifestyle. So um, basically when I landed, it was winter time. So it was February and I had never experienced the cold before. <laughs> so, that was definitely, <laughs> so that was definitely an experience. Um, and we ended up living in the Bronx and in like a really bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed to a lot of different things like there would be always like lots of fights and um, drug dealing going on and um, just like so many things that you wouldn't want your kids to see, you know, at such a young age. But mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of tough. But my dad um, basically worked his butt off to get us into a, uh, a private school. So I, without that, I feel like I would have been like, even worse off than I was at the time. Um, But initially I was in public school for about three months, but what was happening was I was 
being made fun of all the time because uh, my English wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. So like if the if the teacher was like, "Can you read this sentence for the class?" I would be like the 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 boy, you know. Like my English wasn't that great, so people would like be super nasty, like, "Oh, it's an African booty scratcher, like someone that can't doesn't belong or fit here," you know. So like I would come home crying all the time, and that's when my dad's like, "All right, we're not dealing with this. I'm gonna get you." into a private school and yeah so that was very helpful mm-hmm. um but eventually my dad got a job in upstate new york uh which was actually a blessing in disguise because um i feel like up there it was a little bit more like people were a little bit more accepting and it wasn't so um i don't know as as like belittling i guess mm-hmm. yeah and do you think that that was mostly because of like your um, language skills or was it because you're an immigrant or maybe both? I think it's a combination. It was a combination of everything, you know? Yeah. I look different than everyone. I talk different than everyone. I obviously was different. Um, I mean, granted, it was a lot of minorities um, around where I was, but mm-hmm. you still stick out like a sore thumb when you're an immigrant. Right. Yeah. Um, just before we move on, I want to, um, say that I've, um, a friend whose husband is from Cameroon and he immigrated, mm-hmm. um, so they could get married. And he also <laughs> came in January, um, and he, they uh, were living in Albany at the time and he was so mad. He's like, I hate America. I hate the snow. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was definitely the biggest transition. I mean, it, yeah. snow looks really nice in like movies and stuff, you know. <laughs> like, wow, snow. But then you actually get here, you're like, oh my God, snow. <laughs> yep. He was like decked yeah. out in like um those like ski like mm-hmm. bibs so that you wear the ski overalls and like uh-huh. the snowshoes and this giant jacket. He was not gonna fuck around with snow it was so funny he was like i'm too dark for this right i had a friend uh well i actually it was a coworker. he's from kenya mm-hmm. and he's like the first winter i spent here i made the mistake of thinking that it was warm outside during the winter because it was sunny out Mm-mm. and he's like i was wrong that was the worst you mistake know? of my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> been there done that <laughs> What was um what was something that surprised you the most when you moved to America? I mean, it was definitely the cold. <laughs> That's number one for sure. Yeah. Um, but besides that, it was a lot different than I expected it to be. Um, I was expecting it to be like a lot easier, you know, because you think of America and you're like, oh, it's the land of opportunity. Uh, so like, it's so easy to make money. It's so easy to, um, make friends, you know, but I felt like, especially in New York city, I feel like a lot of people were very like close-minded, weren't very open to becoming friends. Like you had to really be careful with who you selected as friends. Absolutely. Um, yeah, those kind of things, you know, so it's not really what it's all made out to be in like the movies or in like 
what everyone thinks that has, hasn't actually been here. So I think that's probably was the most surprising thing for me. Um, and what has been the best thing about your time here? Honestly, the best thing about my time here is I think I, being, a, being in America, I've been provided a lot of opportunity um, that I probably wouldn't have had in a way um, because I was, right now I'm a physical therapist. So I don't know if you guys know. So I'm basically traveling the country. So every three months I pick up a new contract that I, I can basically do what I love in a different part of the country. Um, but would I have had the same opportunity if I had stayed in Ghana? Absolutely not. Um, yeah. Because first of all, physical therapy isn't even a profession in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one day, that's actually one of my main goals, to be able to kind of um, bring that over there and kind of show them the importance of that. Because there are so many people that need that care in, in Ghana, but it's not really a, a known thing. So. But I I think that's the biggest thing, being able to actually be able to go to an American college. Um, and the biggest reason I was able to get into college was because of sports, you know. And in, in Africa, you don't really have the ability to be able to get into school um, because of that, you know. Like right now, I'm, I feel like I'm in a really good spot in my life. And not everyone gets that same kind of opportunity in other places. Um, do you still have family over in Ghana? I do. I have plenty of family over in Ghana. Actually, a majority of my family is in Ghana. Um, but a lot of my family actually, even though most of them are in Ghana, they've kind of spread around the world. Like I have family in Ireland. I have family in Israel, I have family in Canada, I have family in London. So they've kind of dispersed, mm-hmm. but I still have a majority of my family in Ghana. And have you been back to Ghana? So the last time I went was when I was 15. So it's been quite some time, but so I'm definitely due for another trip. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely a little bit different <laughs> going out to a 15 year old versus going being there like growing up before the age of eight um and i can imagine it'd be different now too oh yeah um so let's talk about um some of the challenges that you faced being in america um so i mean you're from ghana so you have much darker Mm -hmm. skin than a lot of people um and I also mm-hmm. know you, so that helps me to know that. Um, so right. c- can we can we talk about like how being from Ghana and being you know being black has you know how th- that has dictated your experiences with America? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like as a nation, I feel like we have a long way to go in regards to the race. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just color, but I think people these days just aren't able to kind of look past color. And I'm, it's just more generalized that I'm saying this, but um, I don't know, like, it's a lot of times you, if you're the only black person in the room, like right now, I'm like, okay, because I kind of grew up 
being in, in those kind of situations where I'm kind of used to it, but at the same time, there are certain moments where you, you kind of feel that and, and like either people are talking about you behind your back or sometimes even right in front of you. Um, like the other day I was walking back home from a bar and then this, this guy, so I was basically walking back to my car with my friends and this guy basically just calls me the N word right in front of me. And yeah. And this is like literally just the other day, like two and a half weeks ago. And I'm like, wow, is this real? Like, is this really still happening? Like, we're at this point we're it's almost 2020 you know yeah and it's just it's just sad that there are still people out there that think that like that and honestly I don't know if that'll ever change but it is what it is yeah it's so I can just imagine because like I can hide my sexuality you know I can not hold hands with my partner you can't mm-hmm. hide the color of your skin. No. You know, and, you know, I feel uncomfortable when people are like looking at me as I'm holding hands with my partner and I feel super uncomfortable, but we can just quickly remedy that by leaving and not holding hands and, you know, none of that. But I, can, I can't even fathom what it would be like to just walk into places and people looking at you based solely on the color of your skin and I think that this is a really important conversation, like skin color and immigration are just hugely important conversations that people aren't having in today's America, which is why we're talking right. to you about this. Um, Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that that's also a thing. I feel like a lot of it also depends on which part of the country you're in, you know? That yeah. was going to be um, my next and- question, because <laughs> you were saying that you were right. traveling around a lot for your job, which is really cool. But how has yeah. that experience differed um, from the different places that you've been in the country? It's been really cool. It's been nice because I've been able to see a lot of different places and see how people interact in all these different places. And not all places are the same, you know, and not everyone in every place is the same, you know. And that's one thing I've learned. Um, but overall, the thing I've learned is that there are more good people than bad people. Um, however, there's there's still a lot of discrimination out there. It doesn't matter what the kind of discrimination is, whether it's your sex, whether it's your race, whether it's your socioeconomic status, it's out there and it's very prevalent regardless of where you are. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, like the whole immigration thing that's happening these days? So uh, let me kind of give you my the process uh, that it, it took me to actually get my citizenship. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about it. That. Was, yeah. So I think that would be kind of a good example. Um, so it was way more difficult than it needed to be. Um, so this process could have taken maybe three to six months. It took me two and a half years to actually get it. Oh, wow. So there, yep, there are two certifications. There's a certification of naturalization. There's a certificate of citizenship. Um, I filed for the certificate of naturalization because it's for some, that's something you file when you were born in a different country and you want to be a citizen. 
A certificate of citizenship is basically a certificate certificate that says, hey, I'm a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. So I did the naturalization. Uh, it took me, it was 1200 bucks just to apply for that. Um, what the And I think fuck? that's just the government, right? That's just the way for the government to weed people out, you know, with yeah. low socioeconomic status. Yeah, we want you to come here, but we don't want you to be poor. Exactly. <laughs> um so I didn't I didn't get an interview for six months. Like, why does it take six months? I have no idea. And during the interview, they asked you questions um, that were really bizarre. It was basically questions about the American government and very specific questions that like 80 to 90 percent of Americans would fail. Um, mm-hmm. After the interview, it took me an, an additional six months. Um, for them to send me a letter saying I was denied my application. Um, and their reason for denying me was because I was already a U.S. citizen because I acquired it through my dad, which it kind of makes no sense. If I am a U.S. citizen, then why don't you just give me my citizenship? What yeah. they wanted me to do was to apply for a certificate of citizenship. Um, so I ended up having to pay an extra $1,200 again for the the same exact thing, essentially. And I had to wait an extra year and a half to even be, be provided the swearing ceremony. And then basically, so as a traveler, you know, I'm, I'm not really in the New York area. So this was very stressful because... I'm in California, and everything that I was doing, I started the process in New York. So whatever the interviews were, I would always have to travel to New York. I would always have to be wherever they needed me, essentially. So once I got the the letter saying that I could come in for my swearing ceremony, I was so excited. So I booked my ticket, my flight, I... Um, basically took time off work. I was super excited. Yeah, so it was basically the weekend before my swearing ceremony. I received a call from the Department of Homeland Security and they were like, there's a conflict with the day that you chose. And you would either need to wait an extra couple of months or you'd have to come in in two days. <laughs> but what was the conflict? So, Did they like just like schedule something else during that time? I have no idea. It was like, maybe like the person that was supposed to do the ceremony can't do it or something. Or maybe they, they didn't give me a reason. Like a, I asked them, but they can give me like a legit reason. That must be so, so infuriating and frustrating. That for was you. so annoying and super stressful. So I essentially had two days to basically take time off work. I had to take an extra three days off work, switch around my flights, which cost me hundreds of extra dollars. And I mean, I was eventually able to make it work, but that was ridiculous. That all, everything that I went through from having to wait a year to be denied to finally get my interview and then changing up on me last minute, you know, it just tells you that there is, there's just, it's just the government's way of trying to like prevent you from actually reaching your goal. Actually. So we've talked to a few immigrants already. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of them came here also while they were young. Um, and mm-hmm. they were also citizens. They also became citizens, but they really didn't remember the process because their parents became citizens. So they defaulted. Um, but having your story is actually really interesting and really important because a lot of people who do come here when they're so young, they don't know the whole process and they don't understand like the money that it takes to become a citizen, to become naturalized. Right. You know, you spent over 2,400 bucks to just have a citizenship. Yeah. And that's just for the applications. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Never mind, you know, taking off of work to have your interviews, never mind scheduling your plane flights to come in because you're working in a different state, you know, and like you can't put your whole life on hold just to become a citizen. Like you're expected to make money and survive in this economy. Absolutely. And to them, it's like, oh, it's our way or the highway. You know, at the end of the day, you choose what you want to do, but this is what you can, your, your options are. Right. And it's sad. Yeah. Um, so now that you are a U.S. citizen, do you feel American? I honestly don't. <laughs> I can't say I feel American. Uh, I still feel like I'm African, you know, it's it's still my roots. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of that, uh, proud of who I am. Um, But I mean, especially with the president we have now, that the president that doesn't accept everyone for who they are, literally be be little's woman and like is openly racist. I mean, when Obama was president, I felt like I was a little bit more American, you know? Yeah. I felt like, I didn't feel like I was fully American. Um, But you had some sort of representation. Yes. I felt like I had some kind of representation. I felt like people, I feel like I felt more of like the the closest I felt as being American, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Man. That was a, that's a, we're all just like sitting here super somber. Cause like that, just hearing your story, like, you know, we're already going through these eye opening stories and then hearing your story is just like another blow of like, wow, this system is so messed up and the path yep. to citizenship is so difficult already. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And something needs to change. It's, just, it's not getting any easier. No, exactly. And I love that people love to like throw around how easy it is for people to come over. If you just, you know, like come here legally and you just do the paperwork, then you can just be a citizen. You can just do it. And I don't think that people understand that it's expensive. It takes a long fucking time. And it is mm-hmm. like you're saying, it, there's a lot of like time and concern around like your job and working or if you're a kid like it's just like it's so ridiculous they all they also don't realize that like you can get a visa Mm -hmm. from abroad you know you don't have to be physically present to get a visa but if you want to become a citizen you have to physically be here and you have to be here for a certain amount of time and you can't go back and forth constantly right and it's like there's just there's so many hoops to jump through to get a visa or a green card and then there's so many more hoops that you have to jump through to become a citizen and you have to physically be present here to be a citizen. And people don't know that. Absolutely. It, it's it's quite the process, you know, and they you're basically your life's limited 
around whatever the regulations are. You know, like if if you wanted to go back home, there's a good chance you won't come back. Right. Yeah. There's a good chance they won't let you get back into the country. Exactly. And it's it's very unfortunate because like at the end of the day, some people may have kids or our loved ones that that need their help or if they could have like a their mom or dad on their deathbed you know it's like there's situations like that that and it's very important that you know to be there with your loved ones but you can't be there because there's always that risk that you may never return yeah Thanks for listening to one of our episodes from our immigration series. You can follow us on social media at Frau Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And you can send us an email at Frau at gmail.com.